With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You ready then? Hang on, there's someone got a cat. There's a peacock outside my house. Piss off, is, is, is that what it is? Yeah. But like, the peacock don't make that noise. It was going, hey hey That's the noise they make. Yeah, we've got a proper peacock fan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Leads That Podcast. We are back. I am Matt, and I'm joined by Paul. Hiya. James. Hello. And Andy. All right. But we are not together around the kitchen table because we're not allowed to be. Uh, if you haven't heard, you're supposed to be social distancing, staying in your house, staying safe and protecting the NHS and only going out for one hour of exercise once every day. Point is that we're all in our own homes and uh, we quite often do this remotely anyway. But the, the fact of the matter is that uh, it might not sound the greatest quality uh, as it usually does because Andy couldn't be bothered editing it. So we're all together on a video call. And, Hang uh, on. Yeah, well, that's true, isn't it, mate? No. Oh, I think it is. When it gets round to it, that this will be edited out because he's the editor, so we're all right. That's true. And he's uh, he's cracking a can open. What's that can, Andy? Uh, Elvis juice. Well, to be honest with you, I'm just glad that we can get back to doing a podcast and see all of your lovely faces, even if it's on screen. So how's everybody doing? I've basically turned into a 1920s housewife with a mild alcohol problem. I'm baking scones, I'm making stuff, I'm raising two kids on my own, what missus goes to graft. It's bloody horrible. Yeah, but what does your missus do, Andy? She works for the NHS, doesn't she? She's one of them heroes that everyone claps for on a Thursday. Where's my round of applause when I'm looking after two kids on my own all day? That's what I want to know. Instantly, everybody's sympathy is with your wife rather than you, Andy. It always is, mate. Everyone knows what I'm like. Yeah, that's true, actually. So what, what have we been up to? What are you filling your time with when you can't go out? Hang on, is that a peacock? Yeah. It sounds like a cat. Yeah, no, it's peacock. There's a, it's, there's a family of peacocks that live in the village and they should be quiet soon because they usually go up the tree for a kip at this time of night. So, uh, fingers crossed. Life's got bonkers on it. Well, it, it is a bit daft, but to be fair to the peacocks, they're just living their best life. They've been doing this long before lockdown. Their life's a bit easier, if anything. I've never seen a peacock being hit by a car, thankfully, but I assume the risk has gone down dramatically. I've seen the, the graphs. This has gone dark. I've been doing a couch to 5K in my back garden, and I've worn a hole around the back because I've been respecting the rules and then using my daily exercise to take my little girl out for a walk. How big's your garden if you're doing 5K in it? I, I've never counted the laps because I'm too busy focusing on staying alive. But um, it's not massive. No, your garden. How big's your garden? <laughs> We've already heard about your peacock. Yeah, well, you've well, got, you got a family of peacocks living in your garden, so it's got to be fairly opulent. 
they've only come to guard at once, and I, I absolutely uh, pat myself, basically. They're like dinosaurs if you've ever got up close to them. They've got massive web feet. They're horrible. Well, speaking about peacocks, it's been nearly two months since we last saw them live. Well, since anybody last saw them live. Are we, are we missing it? I assume we are. It's really weird, isn't it? Something you take for granted that you, you, you binge on, you're obsessed with, suddenly gets taken away from you and there's something horrible going on in the world. And all you can think of is they can't not promote us. And it, it feels really selfish, but I can't stop thinking about Leeds. Well, I've always said that football's cyclic and it, it goes round and you know that in August you'll be you'll be going back and we'll be going back whether it's in what division it doesn't it does matter but I knew you'd be going back you'd be watching the team and it starts again and there's always another chance the next year or whatever and that's been thrown up in the air at the moment which is really really surreal how did you feel on Saturday about the fact we should have been hopefully celebrating a famous return to the Premier League and we're still we're still top of the league but nine games still to play it was strange thinking about how like when I was doing my daily exercise and doing the, the routine that's become so routine with your days because of how restricted what you can do is and just thinking exactly what alternate universe me would have been doing at that time because it it, it bears absolutely no comparison <laughs> There's that peacock again. Yeah. I cannot believe how loud that peacock is, Paul. <laughs> Do you know, there's not a single person on this street moans about it either, about them. No one says, oh, they keep me up or anything. Everyone's just like, well, it's so lovely having these peacocks. I keep pondering over football, but all the different versions of what could have been and what could be, like, so much. Um, it's crazy, really. And one of the things that I keep thinking in my mind is I can't believe Huddersfield was, or, you know, was the last game that we went to and is potentially the last game of the season. Because I, I remember it so vividly in my mind as well. And it felt like we were on the cusp of everything being shut down, didn't it? Let's be honest. And uh, it was just a really weird, odd day. But I also think back a bit further and, and think about the, the run that we went on, the five-game run, and how grateful for that. Um, I am as well and you know the world had ended when we lost to Forest and that yeah the run we went on was just unbelievable and we were playing the best football we've played um, probably under Bielsa and the results were just fantastic and and you know if it, if it comes down to that then and it does come down to a, a points per game um, scenario and, and we can be promoted then we've got to be forever grateful for that and I'm glad we witnessed it You're right there James because I'm just there thinking after that Forest game, it did feel like world was done, didn't it? It was such a low. And when this all happens, what's going on at the minute, you forget how important certain aspects of your life are and how selfish we are as humans that we do get away with that and how much we embrace it and love it. But that's why we're all mates. We're all mates because of Leeds United at the end of the day, aren't we? So it's, it's still important to be selfish and still enjoy the little things in life. And I just want to see Leeds do well. I just want to go watch Leeds play. 
I miss it. And uh, speaking of which, though, there's a chance. We don't know how it's going to play out, but there's a chance that they might try and end the season and we can't go and watch them. How do you feel about that? Somebody changed my opinion in an interview that's coming up shortly, so I'm going to stay quiet. Uh, it'd be it'd be a shame to miss it. It's still going to be great for the city leads going up if we go up, but I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough call, isn't it? Is there any difference? This is this is a silly thing to say, but for those people who aren't lucky enough to get to the game, if we'd gone up at a game that was an away game anyway, if you watch it on the telly and there's no fans there, how much different is it? Is it massively different? Yeah, because I think the whole thing of being together, being with your friends, being in a pub, being in a bar, being at your mate's house, being at an event. Sport is an event. You can't take that away. And without the event and everything that comes with that, it's meaningless. For for me, it's about being there and being in the crowd, whether it was home or away. And I think it, It'd be gutting if it happens behind closed doors. And obviously there's a strong chance that that's what's going to happen. And that might be the best that we can hope for now. Um, but I think the way, the way I'm trying to rationalise it is that as a fan, you know, if you're going to support your, your club, it was more important to have been there during the, the, the bad times to be, uh, to be cheering, on, cheering us on when we needed them and to cheer them on for the, course of the season so far to get us to the top of the league that actually this last little bit the players can probably do it on their own go on then what's been your lowest point this season then on that note um for me it was actually the uh you can listen back to the podcast to to uh, remember how low i was but it was uh just after the wigan game the wigan home game i can't believe that's happened twice <laughs> no if you look at their form their away form they've got i think they've got two wins both at Ellen road in 12 months do you know what I've just thought, actually, do you remember earlier on in the season when we interviewed Bryn Law? Do you remember him saying about VAR was, I'm paraphrasing, but he was basically saying that it's killing live football and no one can no one can enjoy it. Well, and he said there's no way that it could be removed because of all the money in sport and the money invested in it. Now that we've had a pandemic, do you think we could get rid of VAR? Well, there'll definitely be a debate to be had if they go behind closed doors at neutral venues, whether VAR will be a part of it or not. Presume it probably will, but it's a bit like your essential shopping. You know, where where can you go to the shop? Do you need this item? Do you need VAR? Do I need flour? Probably. Do I need beer? Definitely. Yeah, can they get all of those VAR officials in a box big enough for them to social distance? And then if it, if we find that they can't get in a box to officiate, um, does it then mean actually? Yeah, it was all right without VAR again. Let's just scrap that. That would definitely be a nice outcome, I think, if uh, if that happened. But whatever whatever happened, I think they were going to have to change it. Matthew, were you saying that you see behind closed doors as the lesser of uh, of the possible evils coming up, and therefore would take that if if that was the only possible way of it going panning out? I think that there's absolutely no chance we're going to be inside a football stadium as fans anytime soon. So if I had to pick my absolute ideal scenario, it's the one that's almost definitely not going to happen is that we put football on hiatus for a year or more and we come back and play those nine games maybe next 
March and just forget next season and just start restart this season in exactly the same place next year. You could not live a year without football. You're off your mind, you? I could if I knew it was coming back and we were going to be top of the league and we had nine games to get promoted and we were all going to be in the stadium together. I could definitely put up with that. A year? Yeah. We'd struggle to fill podcasting material for a year without any games, wouldn't we? But at the moment, there's no sign of games coming getting on anyway. But if you look at the other alternatives, if they just promote us on points per game, I think that there's a a real anti-climax to that and also a risk that people will say Leeds only got promoted because of a pandemic. Yeah, but who cares about that now? I'd rather earn it. I'd rather earn it. And and I'd like the enjoyment of watching us play those last nine games, even if it has to be on a screen. Mate, um, believe, believe me, I want to earn it too. But if you look at the way football works, Uddersfield went up with a minus goal difference. Yeah, I, I, get, I buy all of that. And I also buy the fact that in League One, we should have finished second if it wasn't for the fact we've been deducted 15 points. So there's plenty of times when we've, shafted but I still believe and I think the players would want to finish those nine games and earn them and I think for us it would feel much more satisfying if we if we were able to watch the players do that even if it's behind closed doors and then the other option of course is to void the season altogether and that would be the worst scenario possible Look the players and the fans obviously want to get there and do it on merit and have that moment together but the moment together is looking very 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 unlikely isn't it Um, there's no question about that Leeds has been going 100 years now I want it to keep going and going and going there's going to be thousands of years of Leeds United hopefully and let's just hope that this is a small blip that's happening right now a small blip that had to happen when we were top of the league with one of the world's best managers in charge rather than 15th with Paul Eckenbottom in charge yeah but if that had happened the law of Leeds that would have meant that everyone from 14th down got relegated to the National Conference of Football stopped wouldn't it? Maybe. So, yeah. Anyway speaking of behind closed doors we've got a game for you. Play the jingle. What What jingle? No one knows what it's like to be the bad man to be the sad man Behind closed doors. <laughs> I have picked a Leeds United footballer, past or present, who is currently sellotaped quite crudely behind my closed door. And you need to ask me questions. I will give you yes, no answers to find out who it is behind closed doors. This sounds great. Did he play for Leeds in the 90s? No. Did he play for Leeds in the League One era? No. Did he play for Leeds in this millennium? Yes. Did he play for Leeds in the Premier League? No. Did he come up through the ranks at Thorpe Arch? No. Does he currently play for Leeds? Yes. Is he on loan? Yes. It's still James's turn, Paul's turn. I'm sorry, Paul. I always do that. Is this player on loan? Yes. Oh. Is it held a cost? <laughs> no. <laughs> Is this player an outfield player? No. Oh. Is this player Ilan Meslier? Yes, it is. Bonk! There he is. Play the jingle. <laughs> Hang on, why is it your house? 
No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man. Behind closed doors. Did anybody see that Sky program where they interviewed Cooper, Aileen and Phillips over a video call to see what yeah. was going on really behind their closed doors? Yeah, it was good. And they had, they had David Prutton on there as well. Ex-Leeds legend of sorts. I thought it was really interesting to see what was going on, what they're up to, and the fact that the club have sent them loads of uh, exercises and they have to get weighed on a morning and take photographs of it and send it into the the coaching staff. It's just, I mean, it's good. I'm glad that they're keeping them in tip-top shape, but looks like some regime. It's better than my regime, I'll tell you that. But maybe not better than Paul's. He's doing uh, 5K a day. Well, not yet, don't we? <laughs> he's, on, he's on the couch bit of couch to 5K at the moment. It was the thing that impressed me with with that is that the planning and the foresight and uh, I, I really don't want to get political at all because that's not our place. But they uh, um, they saw it coming and they planned for it and hopefully at some point if we do get to behind closed doors we will reap the rewards for that. Wasn't it January that they started making plans and it was ahead of the government even talking about it? Really, wasn't it? I think what they said was that they did a forecast of how long the games would be continuing based upon the information that they were getting in the news and put a sort of a pack together, pre-ordered equipment before people started mad rushing for equipment um, for home gyms, etc. And were able to get those to the players straight away and get them straight into the regime. So there was absolutely no kind of transition period. It was just straight into it. So someone who does know a bit about what, some of the players are up to is uh, our friend of the podcast. Is it fair to call him now? Hayden Evans. Just friend. Just friend. Oh, um, friend. So we, we caught up with Hayden to talk about what he's doing under lockdown conditions, what the world of football is dealing with and agents and players and uh, just had a good old catch up with, with him. Hey, Nevins, thank you for joining us, mate. How's things? How's lockdown treating you? A uh, bit stir-crazy. You know, I've done my stint of homeschooling, so I now have even further admiration for my missus, seeing how much they have to do with the kids. You know, we tend to get away with it, don't we? But, uh, yeah, getting there, just stir-crazy, really. How's things with you? How's things with your with business? How are the lads that you look after? Is it all a bit strange at the moment? Yeah, it's really strange, you know. I mean... I suppose if you separate the two, a business is a non-event. So, um, you know, we, you know, it's it's one of those times where it should be our busiest time of the year, where we're we're out and about at every club. We're talking about the transfer window, looking at options, dealing with the global network we do. But, you know, everyone's in the same boat. Our colleagues in Spain, Italy, you know, pe- people are just sat at home. So... Um, clubs as well, you know, we're talking to a few clubs, but th- nobody's making any decisions and nobody's making real plans. I think you've got a few clubs that are saying, right, scenario A, you know, for example, if we go up or we're not relegated, scenario B, we do go up or we don't, and scenario C, it's doomsday and we've no money whatsoever. 
are there any frees and loans out there? So n there's not much work getting done at all, you know, um, in terms of the boys that we represent. Uh, fortunately, um, they're all under contract. You know, there's none of them going to have the complication of running out of contract at the end of June. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just a case of them getting fit. The ones that are Leeds, I think, you know, obviously I'm totally biased, but the ones that at Leeds seem to be getting through an awful lot more work than perhaps some of the others. Uh, you know, there's a there's an insistence, there's a monitoring program, there's everything's been put in place from day one earlier than most other clubs. So uh, so they, they're certainly keeping occupied and fit, that's for sure. I'll say one thing, the whole thing's awful, this whole pandemic, it's ground anything to a halt and it's taken lives, it's disgusting. But for some people, like Ryan Edmondson, I suppose, it's now giving him a chance to get fit and maybe get himself back in with a bit of reckoning towards the first team, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think I think Ryan's injury came, if ever an injury can come at a good time, it came at a, re a decent time for him because there was nothing could be done. You know, he, he couldn't be put out on loan or, or whatever else. And he couldn't get too disillusioned by not being part of either a travelling squad or on the bench. So, you know, his head was set on getting fit anyway. So, yeah, with Big Ryan, um, you know, it, it's as it was. He had an injury to get to get over and get back and get fit. So, it just gives him longer for recovery time. What are you? What if you've not if you've not got much business, Hayden? What are you doing uh, with your time other than the homeschooling? Not a lot, really. Gardening, which I've never, I'm not very good at. <laughs> Do it yourself, which I'm absolutely atrocious at. So. I've actually been stopped from trying to give a hand on that because uh, I, I just mess everything up. So uh, plenty of Netflix, <laughs> um, and you know the little ones keeps me busy as well. She's six, so obviously plenty of time with her. Um, but but that's it really. You know the little bit of forward planning. You know Andy Gray works uh, with me. You know we we Willie's and all the time. So the global networks sending. You know opportunities as they call it and and references regarding foreign players so we, we can have a good look and a good dig around all that but there's only so much you can do and have you got any insight into what the uh, next steps are Hayden do you know do you know what's no, going to happen I, next no I, I think I don't think anybody does uh, frankly um, you know you you would like to think I don't know I, I, I think if you look at the French model to a certain extent uh, you know, in terms of the season, they they you know they didn't make it null and void, which would be horrendous for us, of course. Um, you know, they, they they stopped the league, but then you know they, they they looked at the table and average points per game, that sort of. Thing. You know, it, the most sensible solution to me seems to be looking at points per game. You know, given that seventy or eighty percent of the league was finished. Um, I don't know, mate. I honestly don't. You know, um, I think the journals know possibly more than some of us in the industry do because they dug a little bit deeper. But there don't seem to be any decisions made yet. Now, mate, as a as a diehard Leeds United fan, how does that potentially sit with you? Because you've told us before about one of the best weekends of your life being in Bournemouth and the scenes there. Now. You've just said then points per game seems like a good way to go up, but as a fan, I know. 
And someone like yourself, how does that sit? I, well, I'll just have to trash the house on my own. City's <laughs> <laughs> getting turned over. There's going to get some bottles smashed and, you know, might put a window through or, so, or two and carry on alarmingly for the night. <laughs> but sure, surely if it's behind closed doors, you can blag your way in, Hayden. And no. one of your means of contacts. I doubt it. I think, you know, agents are not the ones that get invited into clubs, let me tell you. Um, no, no. I, and I would, do you know what? I wouldn't, as daft as it sounds, I wouldn't want to go because, you know, that, that celebration and that thing we've always been waiting for is the one that you want to enjoy with your mates. And, and in my, my case, my son, who I talked about before, goes to, you know, the Garth of White. So you, you just... It just wouldn't be this. Even if I got that personal invitation, which I won't get, um, I wouldn't do it. I'd, I, you know, it's just not the same at all. Uh, so I think that's the big thing. I think Phil A said it, didn't he, in, in one of his, his blogs or whatever. But um, you know, he, beggars can't be choosers, and there's, there's, there's bigger things happening in the world right now. It's you know, for me, yeah, uh, just so long as we go up. It's, it, that, that's all that counts for me, really. If, if a decision is going to be made, then it's got to be made the right way for the right reasons and not not penalise Leeds United as, a, as has done in the past. And, and if we uh, get the reverse of a Leeds that moment and they promote us on points per game, obviously every fans of other clubs will say, oh, Leeds only got promoted because of a pandemic. They would have, they would have fallen apart again if they hadn't have been for the, uh, yeah. the cancellation of the season. What, what would you say to those people? I think that's great. I think it's <laughs> even better, isn't it? Because, you know, they don't like us anyway. We don't care. And if we can rub the salt in the wounds even further by, in their opinion, getting up by default, I would, I'd just, I'd absolutely, as Kevin Keegan would say, I would love that. <laughs> You've really cheered me up, Hayden, because I've been, you know, really gutted that we're not, we're very unlikely to see Leeds United get promoted in the flesh this season, but. There's positives, whatever comes out of it, as long as they don't shaft us, like you say. There is, mate. Us, I mean, you know, I, I think that's that's what we've all Leeds fans have got to grip hold of. You know, it's it's like next season, whenever that season starts, you know, we'll be in the Prem, we'll be playing those big clubs, you know, and we'll have pissed off most of the championship by doing it. So that's that's great. It's a, it's a bonus, isn't it? Speaking of uh, big clubs, did you watch the... Um, what passes for match of the day this week, this Saturday? I don't Maybe. watch it. I don't. I, you know, it, it is pathetic, really. But <laughs> even though there's not nothing to do, you know, I've I've watched every rerun of the Leeds EFL stuff. I've watched all the old Leeds games that they've put on TV. But the match of the day thing, you know, unless it does have Leeds on it, I'm not. I'm just no. It, it's well, it's funny, isn't it? You know, we want to be back in the Prem desperately. But right now, it bores the pants off me. I was wanking it. Yeah. I just, what? I can't tune into it. The reason I wanted to ask you about it was because each week they're choosing a different top 10 of Premier League players. This week, it was um, the top 10 players who never played for a top six club. And in the 10 were David Batty and Gary Speed. All oh, right. Well, they... Because uh, Leeds weren't classed as a top six club, even though for the entire pretty much the entire period Batty and Speed were with us we yeah. were we were a top six club if not champions is that because they were talking about football as they believe it you know since <laughs> yes. Premier League and not before football didn't exist before 92 no not according to them yeah, no 
not according to them. Yeah, I mean, it's not, but it is nice to know that Bats and Speed get that recognition recognition from the pundits. Yeah, they had Shearer on saying that uh, Batty was always uh, last in training and first out of training. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mate. You, you could keep it. You could keep him longer. I mean, Howard Howard had a, had a trick, which I, I don't know if I mentioned last time. He had the trick to, to keep him training that bit longer. He'd just give him a sack of footballs on his own because he loved twatting him around. So he, he, he'd sort of say, there you go, Bats, you know, there's a big ball bag. Could just go kick these balls about for a bit longer. And he would because he enjoyed just leathering a ball. Uh, if only they'd known that at Newcastle. <laughs> yeah. So after we interviewed you last time, Aidan, uh, myself and James spent some time with you and you told me the brilliant story about... Uh, Tony Boa and how he left it all, what happened there? I mean, Leeds fans that are old enough and remember, you know, Tony's last days and everything, know it all stemmed from uh, one particular game, which was uh, Tottenham away. And uh, we were 1-0 down and George Graham had decided that he was going to make his mark. This was his opportunity to stamp one on on Tony. There was a personality clash from day one because... uh, the way George always was, was he had to be the biggest at the club, no matter what, you know, and, and I, I don't think he liked from day one that Tony's popularity was just phenomenal at the time with the fans. So he 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 put Tony's number up and I would Tony off. Tony's response was to throw it, take his shirt off and throw it at George Graham. So... Uh, we talked about Tony and I, that, you know, the morning after, and he said it was just, he said, fucking unbelievable. He said, if ever there was an opportunity to get a goal back, it would be through me, not being big-headed, but it would. Why would, why at 1-0 down would he sub me? Because he thinks he's bigger than me and he wants to make a mark, blah, blah, blah. Roughly at the same time that I was speaking to Tony, um Graham had put in the press and all this overnight that it's a disgrace and that uh, he was disrespecting the shirt by throwing it to the ground and all that stuff. So they then went on a bit of a campaign for a couple of days um, talking about things like uh, he disrespected the club. This is a club who will pay for his gardener. This is a club who will pay for this and pay for that. And tried a bit of slander. So... Two, two things happened really. Um, one, we spoke to our friends at the Yorkshire Evening Post and said, "Do you want to do a feature uh, where you ask any question, and and Tony and myself will answer it honestly." Um, but what we want you to do is make sure you ask about some of the things that Graham has said because we've got factual evidence that he's talking bollocks. So things like invoices from the gardener that you know so so we, we sort of destroyed that myth and the fans responded brilliantly really you know Tony got even more support uh, and then within about I don't know two or three days of all of that happening we get a phone call to go in and see him uh, we get sat around the table and it literally lasts about five minutes and Tony gets Tony just stood up and said, you know, listen, I'm not talk, I'm not having any more conversations. As far as I'm concerned, you fucking deal with it to me. He's saying because this man, uh, this man, he only wants to be the big man. He doesn't like. I probably earn more money than him. He doesn't like it. I have more fans than him. He doesn't like it. 
this isn't this isn't a true conversation, you know. So Tony had just seen through it all and walked off. So uh, Graham, George Graham, basically put it to me that you know we better toe the line, sort of thing. It's it's either Tony, you know, it's either Tony or him or Tony in the club and all this, and it was just a nonsensical bullying conversation in a way. So I, I just said, look, I'm at, you know, Tony's my client. As a Leeds fan, I love him anyway. As far as I'm concerned, you know, I've, I've been here long before you came and I'll be here long after you go. So if, if you're basically saying you're banning me from the club or whatever it is for not towing the line, so be it. You know, so I, le- I walked out and left. Um, Paddy called me or Leary called me and sort of said, you realise you've sort of cut yourself off at the knees as far as the club's concerned. And I just repeated what I said. I said, well, you know, I'll be here when you've all gone. I'll still be supporting the club. And that was it. That was the end of it. So within, I don't know, within a week, we'd got a big offer, in those days anyway, to give Leeds all their money back and more. For Tony to return to the Bundesliga, went back, finished top goal scorer that year in the Bundesliga, and that was the end of it. How did that work with uh, O'Leary when Bats went back then? Well, I, I mean, I, I got I know David was just making the call because he had to really. You know, I, I didn't have any issues with, with, with Paddy at all, none. And it was just a nice sort of, um, uh, it was a nice smug glow, let's put it that way, <laughs> when he, he made it clear that the first signing he wanted to make was David Batty and, oh, by the way, Hayden's his agent. <laughs> but, uh, but I think everybody felt the same way about George Graham by the time he'd left. You know, directors and everyone. So nobody nobody, went, nobody at the club sort of fell on his side against me or Yeboah after that event. I've never seen him uh, interviewed or discussing anything about his time at the club since in the media. You know, when they talk to people that have been a part of the club, they never yeah. seem to talk There's to plenty, people. Plenty, plenty of managers to... In, interview about their time at Leeds as well. So. I don't think he enjoyed it, do you? I, I just got the impression he just didn't enjoy it. He didn't enjoy being north. He didn't make an effort to come live north. He, you know, he, he wasn't there at training every day and he couldn't wait to get a London club, you know, and uh, this die-hard Arsenal god, you know, chose to go to Spurs, you know, instead of us. So it just says a lot about the man for me. Yeah. He kind of he kind of just about did a job for us, didn't he? But yeah. nobody shed a tear when he left, really. No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think there was. I don't think there was a groundswell of support for him. You know, when he was certainly picking out people like Tony, who it's just a crying shame, as you always said. Tell you know, tells everybody all along that his time was cut short at the club. He was just getting going. As a kid, we were dreaming about Hasselbank and Yeboah up front for. Oh, could you imagine for, for seasons on end? Two of the biggest asses in the world playing for this. <laughs> <laughs> Not surpassed until you signed Sean Gregan. Yeah. Six, six or seven years later. Yeah. What are um, what are the boys doing in lockdown then that you look after? Anyone doing anything interesting? No, I don't think so. I think uh, Shax is. Um, We'll be getting homeschooled, won't they? Is he six? <laughs> yeah. No, I think Shax is, only because I saw it on his social media, I think he seems to be getting involved in some of these virtual quizzes, pub oh, quizzes yeah. or something, with some of his family. Um, 
you know, the rest of the time, I think they're just doing what they do. I mean, the days are pretty, the schedule does occupy them. Uh, you know, I mean, United have, Leeds have, have thought carefully, it would seem, about not just the the physical wellness, but keeping their minds occupied and everything else. So, you know, you're not seeing any of ours, for example, you know, getting into trouble, going out, socialising, doing stupid things. You, you're just not hearing from them because they, they've got their heads down, ready to go. I think the medical staff have documented them that they were pulled in and, and started talking in January about what would need to be done. And they planned for that, got the equipment to the boys, you know, before any lockdowns and everything else. So um, typical BLC, you would, it would seem. And do you buy into this theory that if we come back behind closed doors, Leeds will be at an advantage because we'll be fitter than everybody else and we won't have the pressure of the crowd behind us like we would under normal circumstances and actually we would be in a very strong position if that's the route they go down. I don't I think I think we would come back you know, I'm pretty sure we'll come back fitter because we've been fitter throughout the season, come what may anyway. Um this business about taking the pressure off, I think I think they've I think they've rallied to that now. I, th- I think, you know, we, we had a bit of a blip and there were a few that found it hard to wear a lead shirt at Elland Road and all all the stuff we know about. But I think they've responded well to that. So I, I, I don't know. I don't think I don't think they react badly to the pressure of, of a Leeds crowd anymore. I think they've, they've turned it to their advantage, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, I think it'll be strange for them, to be honest. Who's your player of the season so far? Out of interest. Calvin for me, yeah. I, I voted for Phillips, you know, on the on the polls and all that stuff. Um, and I know, you know, I know the red card and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I think the three or four that have been mentioned, uh, I think it would be the tightest run for a long, long time, really. Oh, it's just really hard to pick, but. You know, me personally, I just love watching Calvin play and I like the way he plays and his attitude, the fact he's a Leeds boy, just that whole round thing is, you know, I suppose a little bit of a modern-day bats. And how do we keep hold of Ben White? Gives, gives the agent's perspective. Just by going up and offering bags full of cash. I know Brighton go down, yeah? Yeah, yeah, obviously. I think if, if Brighton went down and we go up, um, then, you know, possibly ignoring the cash comment, I, I think we'd have a good chance. But I think we'd be still up against maybe top five or six. One of them is going to come in for him, I, th- I would think. Um, I know his agent well, and I've, I've worked with him, and uh, it, they're really good people, you know, so you've not got... You've not got a mercenary agent in the middle of it that's going to drive him into something that might not be good for the boy, but good for the for the agent. He's, he's you know, the the they know what they're doing, um, and that he's loving his time at Leeds. That's genuine. So yeah, I th- we've a chance, but I think our biggest chance is obviously it's all about going up. First of all, it's about. I, I don't think we. I, you know, I wouldn't think a player, any player would choose to stay at Brighton and not come to Leeds if we're in the same division. It's the club's decision, not his. You know, he's under contract to them. So uh, you just hope that a Liverpool stay out of it or a Man City stay out of it. 
Brighton have lost a lot of credit with uh, or good grace with fans over the weekend with their stance on uh, only play, wanting to play if relegations off the table. Yeah, it's you know, I suppose it doesn't come as a shock, business wise, that, that, that you know the clubs that have that are being threatened with relegation are the ones that are creating a bit of a fuss and going against the grain. But uh, there's, there's a huge amount of hypocrisy involved with some of those clubs, particularly Villa. You know, so yeah, you know, I don't think they've done themselves any favors, but they don't, they won't care. You know, at the end of the day, technically, he's their player. He goes back to them. He's contracted to them, and it's their decision, really, what happens. And what will happen? Do you think, Hayden? How easy is it to solve this contract problem if the um, we return for the end of the season, but it goes past, you know, the end of June into July, maybe even August, with mm. players like. Um, Meslier and uh, Ben White himself how how difficult is it for clubs to just say well we'll just extend everybody's contract in a blanket way to cover the end of the season or is it going to get messy to sort that I, out I don't I don't you know I don't, I don't think I don't think it it's it, it's messy as such I think if if the rules you know across the board are altered you know, for for the sake of this particular season, because of this, because of the virus, which nobody expected and is nobody's fault, then you know you can they could simply apply an extension rule which says that the loans are not loans to the thirtieth of June or whatever; they're loans to the end of this particular season. So if the season is voided, they go back. If the season ceased and it's points per average, they go back. If they have to play football to end this season then by the spirit of the loan, which was to the end of the normal season, it should be extended to the end of current season. You know, I, I, I don't, I just don't see it's beyond the realms of practicality that the, the, you know, the governing bodies can't just, you know, amend the rules to, to see the season out. I think the, the more difficult ones are those players that are literally out of contract, not the ones that are loan players. So we're fortunate as a club, they've planned quite well, not not foreseeing COVID, just good planning anyway. And we've only one player that's out of contract, you know, which is unusual for most clubs. Uh, and that's better. And it's what happens with that, really. Um, just give him three years. You are? Just give him a three-year deal. Well, yeah, I'm, again totally pro bearer so uh, I'm just amazed that he's still the only one out of contract I'd give him one straight away premiership or not I think he's not going to demand ridiculous money he's a great great player to have in the squad he's good a good influence around the, the park it's a good influence with the kids but I don't know for whatever reason it's not happened yet um, so that means that technically he's up at the end of June all players that are out of contract and haven't got another club to go to get an extra month. Uh, so they get the month of July paid for. And then as we've heard with some other clubs, like the Bristol Rovers thing, your son clubs are saying, OK, if you've still not found another club by the end of July, uh, we might not pay you, but would you still play football for us? <laughs> so wow. it's a crazy situation that some of these lads are going to be in, you know. Well, we might need Berra to play in goal if uh, Meslier's loan can't get extended. Well, yeah, I know. Well, we still don't know about Kiko, do we? What's or do we? What, what's 
Well, I, I assume that his ban stands and whenever we next play, that's the third game of his ban. Right, that'll be the third, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, the loan things, I just think, you know, uh, it would be crazy, wouldn't it, if, if Everyone's throughout insane. football, because yeah. just about every club has got a loan player. It would yeah. be ridiculous for everyone to just be forced to go back to their clubs when and A, that, they don't want to and, and B, the season's not ended. And also if those clubs then start using them. So if Brighton yeah. if Brighton get Ben White back and put him in their team and he plays a blinder and keeps Brighton up, mm. it's just, uh, yeah, it would be a crazy situation to be in. Meanwhile, yeah. we've got we've got J-Roy Grot leading the line. <laughs> yeah. There is, yeah, there is something wrong with it all, isn't there? And I, I would hope we'll see sense. Right, well, Hayden, it's been awesome having you on. Thank you, mate. Um, yeah, you too. I'll stay safe. Mate, we're not quite done yet. We've got a game for you to play. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man to be the sad man behind closed doors. Did he play in the 2000s? No. Was he a striker? Yes. Has he become a bit of a, a cult hero despite not being very good? Uh, well, no, probably not. Okay, so 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 either he was very good or he's not a cult <laughs> hero. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my mate Birdie. No. No. Um, okay. Did he play out and out striker? Yes. Traditional number nine. I would. Yes. Jimmy Floyd. No. Did he play in the eighties? No. Nineties. Yes. But he won't. But he's not a legend. But he's not a cult hero. Might have a slight cult hero, but I'll, I'll, he's no. It's a. Okay. No. Uh, Chapman. No. Oh, it could go on forever. This I give it. I, I would say cult, but not a hero. <laughs> uh, is he English? No. Is he? Was he African? No. Scottish? No. No, I, I'm absolutely stumped. Was he Welsh, Paul? No. Ah. I thought I knew who he was. Not Welsh. Striker. Andy's very quiet here, isn't he? What? Was he Dutch? No. Oh, was he French? No. I was going to say, that'd be cult with an N. Oh, uh, it's a good one. Yeah, you've picked a good one here, Paul. Oh, I picked a really bad one and I've misunderstood, so we'll, we'll find out. Won't we? <laughs> Is he Irish? Yeah, he's, it turns out he's a keeper. German? No. Did he score many goals? No. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, S- Swedish. Correct. Thomas Brolin. Yes. Uh, he's, a, he's a midfielder all day, attacking mid. <laughs> all right. Fat cult hero. Yeah, cult <laughs> hero. You said he's an out-and-out number nine. You yeah, he's not. I forgot. Sorry, I led you down the wrong path. He was meant to score more goals than he did. He was out-and-out number nine, was he? You dummy does there with the... He wasn't a traditional anything, was he? No. Well, well, thank you very much, Hayden. Really appreciate you coming on. I hope you stay safe. 
No worries, boys. You take care of yourselves. And uh, fingers crossed we get the outcome we want and yeah, deserve. Yeah, well, let's hope we can all be out and about and meet properly for round three. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We've got to talk about round three, but uh, what we need to do now is start hashtag pray for Hayden's windows on Twitter. If yeah. they go up. Gonna have my own, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have my own mini Bournemouth right at home. <laughs> Thomas Brolin was never a striker, Paul. I know. Actually, he was a forward, and he's, I've, I've done research since. You said but he was an out-and-out striker. To be fair to you, Thomas Brolin, when he was up there, he, he couldn't really run back, so he was kind of out-and-out striker from just not being able to, to get back in position. Hayden has made me feel better about the old let's get promoted anyway, because he just goes, do you know what, bollocks? It's going to wind up that many people. Let's have it. And you know what? I'm, I'm on board with that. I am yeah. fully on board with that. And I love the idea. What we're going to do is get my GoPro. We're going to play the post. And when it gets announced, just have him tearing his house up to shreds. <laughs> that would be a brilliant you know, video. You're not going to tear your house up. You haven't looked around and earmarked that piece of thing that's going to go through the window. Your telly's precariously close to your window. Are you outside? <laughs> Not allowed to be outside, Andy. I fully agree with you, Andy. Hayden's cheered me right up. To be honest, that whatever happens, it'll, there'll be some um, there'll be some sweet moments uh, to enjoy as a result of it. I did a um, virtual stag do on online. So I was meant to be in Portugal, and do you know what? It got more vicious than it could have done if we were in Portugal together. So we could have a right promotion party. What we'll do is we'll set up a leads that Zoom or Google Meet. Get all the guys in. Get Barney. Get Lucy. Get Sarah. We'll get wild. We're brilliant. I think you might be up to something there. I think we can definitely celebrate. I think the thing that we'll be missing is that moment of when a goal goes in that means promotion, or when a final whistle blows, like that. That twenty seconds of of feeling that emotion. But hopefully, we can replicate it when we win the Premier League in a couple of years. Do you know what makes that emotion worth it? The the, the the release, the feeling when it does happen. It's the fear in the build-up to it not happening makes that sweet spot even better. And we're not going to have that horrible fear and the uh, heart palpitations and uh, the nail-biting, none of it. I don't know. If you look on Leeds United social media, there's an awful lot of fear at the moment that we're going to get totally shafted and uh, left in the championship to rot for another season. Well, I think well, the fear is that it wouldn't just be another season, isn't it? It would be seismic. Um, but every club has something going on. You know, the, the, the clubs are businesses and it's there are so many people talking in and around their own kind of vested interests at the moment. It's hard to actually cut through it to find where the fairest outcome is and where the, where the truth lies in anything because it's all... So much speculation and rumour. I'll tell you what there, Paul, you raise a really valid point. And one thing I've been very proud of of, uh, of our club and Leeds United as a family is how well we've looked after each other and looked after our staff throughout this. Because as you say, it's a business and we all know that football has got paid a lot, a lot of money. Um, rightly so. I don't know, but you, you paid what you're worth, aren't you, in this climate? And a lot of them have... Well, they're taking pay cuts to make sure the staff get paid 
and no one's out of work and I think that's fantastic I see the work that the Leeds United Foundation are doing taking packages out to people who need it and it just makes me really proud of the club and you know what off the pitch we are Premier League we're, we're gold standard and let's just hope that we do get there in the end the other thing that we should talk about that has happened over the period that we've been stuck inside and since the season was curtailed is we've lost not just one but two club legends in uh, Norman Hunter and Trevor Cherry and I, you know the Norman Hunter news that came first it was a we'd heard that he was ill obviously because the club had announced it but I was just more gutted than I ever expected to be about that news because well, we've talked about it before but he was the voice of Radio Leeds alongside Bryn Law um, and you know a lot of my earliest Leeds United memories are him describing it in the way that he did and uh, for somebody that would never met it just felt felt so sad to lose him yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That day was so strange and it was, I found it difficult to uh, explain to my wife how something like that could affect you because my, my wife's not really a football person to, to uh, but actually she did fully appreciate it and um, I, it was such a strange thing. Everything's strange. The whole world's strange at the moment and throwing things like that into it just, it was tough. I think um, a lot of people, obviously they're affected by the fact that they've got to stay at home and they're only allowed to exercise once a day and et cetera, et cetera. But for a lot of people, it, I certainly don't know anyone it's affected directly yet, but to see it affect um, something you care about and, you know, your football club and, and it, it's someone I, I met in the hospitality ages ago I was lucky enough to go my friend invited me and uh, and he's such a lovely bloke that it um, it kind of yeah it really hit home and it made it even more sobering the whole affair because you sort of sit in your bubble and you you forget about what's going on and then yeah I just feel really sad for Norman and his family you know it's unbearable time for them and um, they would need the comfort of their family and friends to be around them and and, and they can't at the moment so I really feel for them I thought that message that Andrea Radrazani posted was heartbreaking, the bit about Norman saying he'd love to see us back in the Premier League in his lifetime. Uh, and that's just, that's another reason why I want us to see it as complete, even if it's behind closed doors, just so that the players can go out and play, not just for themselves, but for, for Norman Hunter and for Trevor Cherry. And these guys, uh, legends at the club, achieved an awful lot, were both fantastic players. And I think the sad thing is that they're both in the 70s and they were both you know, pretty fit and well, and they'd been around for the centenary celebrations. And there was, I think even though they were, you know, they weren't young guys by any means, but they were certainly uh, in their prime, really, to some extent, they were fit blokes. And I think it's, um, it's been really sad. Both of those events. It's really cruel that two club legends have passed so close to each other when they played so long together as well. Um, What's really tragic is that as a as a fan base and a family, we've not been able to show our mourning as, as we'd have liked to. There's not been a minute silence. The club's not been running. Obviously, as we'll find out when we talk to Bryn shortly, there's a scouts out for Norman. But we've not been able to pay the respects that those, those two fellas deserved. 
and we're lucky that as a club that we have those in our we have them in our history and that they'll always be remembered as being Leeds United players and Leeds United legends. Yeah, so as Andy says, we've uh, we've also been speaking to a man who knew Norman well, worked with him for many years, and as I said, uh, was the voice of Leeds United together um, back in the mid nineties. Uh, we we spoke to Bryn Law about what he's doing under lockdown and some of the challenges for a football commentator with no football to commentate on. Thanks for uh, joining us, Bryn. It's a pleasure. Um, we uh, we wanted to start with uh, Norman Hunter. Uh-huh. We talked a bit about Norman when we spoke to you last time. And, yeah, we did, um, right. uh, you know, we we all grew up listening to him on the radio when he was alongside you. And uh, he's like a bit of a grandfather figure almost to us and probably to lots of people around the club. And it was just really gutting to hear that news the other week. Well, like a father figure to me in, in some ways, really initially when I moved to Leeds anyway because I'd moved from home I'd, I'd been in London at uni but I'd moved from home properly for the first time and uh, and once I started working with Norman which was a little time after I'd arrived in Leeds but uh, once I'd started working with him it was just such a such a big help because he kind of um, he didn't hold my hand as such but he certainly guided me through for absolutely certain and not just that that he went above and beyond uh, you know I'd go up to his house up in Horsforth and met the family and we get invited to me and my partner get invited to family dues and all the rest of it so it was just all part of the in, in um sort of immersing myself in in Leeds life he played a really really important part in that and so many of the things that he used to say have still have just become part of not only of my vocabulary but also of my mentality as well so uh, I've described them as Normanisms there, there, are, there are lots of them <laughs> And uh, if there's a if there's a lasting legacy to a wonderful man, then for me it will be in in many ways it will be the things he said that I still say, or the or the views he held that I now also hold. Um, and I mean, one of the it wasn't all the the daft stuff, if you like, but there was some quite profound stuff as well. And one of the things he did say to me once was, "Whatever you do, pal, make sure you keep your dignity." And he was talking about the different types of jobs that you might encounter as you go through your life. Because after Norman finished football, things weren't straightforward for him after the management bit, which he did well at, but then for whatever reason, didn't get any more goes at. After that, and the coaching job started to go away. Then he had to go out and earn money because all those lads from that era, despite their incredible success, ended up having to go out and earn money. So so Norman did try various uh, bits and bobs, but I think the point he was making was just have half a mind at how, how this looks to other people. And it was... Um, it was an incredibly important point to me, and it's one I've tried to adhere to, hopefully successfully, but you never know, uh, ever since. So there were lots of things that he that he passed on to me that for which I'll be forever grateful. And as somebody who knew him, what would he have made of having the South Stand at Elland Road named after him? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough question. I think he'd have been a little bit embarrassed, to be honest with you, <laughs> because he, wa- he wasn't a man for uh, that I ever encountered for a lot of fuss. He was, he was very much kind of just incredibly down to earth. I mean, I've said before, but the fact that I arrived as a, as a relatively young chap in Leeds in my early 20s, and he was at the other side of an incredibly successful playing career, one of the, the best known footballing names on these aisles. Um, despite all of that, the fact that he kind of invited me in and we became friends and we spent an awful lot of time in each other's company, despite 
despite his stellar career, you would never have got any sense of it from the way that he conducted himself ever. I mean, he was just um, just such a... I don't like to use the word humble because he wasn't humble, but he was just an ordinary guy. He was just um, very, very grounded, down to earth, whatever. Yeah, it's a real fitting tribute, I, I feel, because especially with um, how difficult all the kind of funeral arrangements are and stuff at the moment, it, it's a real nice thing to have that we can all look to. And do. I, I found the scarf thing really fitting and moving as well. Well, that's the saddest, saddest aspect of, of this episode is that because of the of the timing, obviously the cause as well. I mean, I'd seen Norman two weeks or whatever before at the, at the final game, three weeks before at the final game, you know, and he's had one or two health issues recently, but basically just, it was Norman, he was hale and hearty. So it was a, it was a real, it was a real shock on that basis. I mean, on the day of the final game that he went to, the club had rung him and said, listen, Norm, if you want to stay away today, because obviously we all had an inkling that, this was kind of there was an issue coming here. So I had a Huddersfield had rung him and said, "You can stay away. Don't you don't need to come in today." And of course, Norman probably like all the other lads of that era was, was there's no way they were going to stay away. And he made that quite clear. They were going to go to the game. They were going to go to Allen Road because that's what they did. That's what they'd always done, and that was their place. Um, so you know, it, there was that. It was an extra shock because so recently I'd seen him like Trevor Cherry I'd seen Trevor very recently as well but the saddest aspect of all of this is neither of the guys will get the send off uh, as it stands that they absolutely absolutely deserve I mean for Norman people should be out on the streets of Leeds um, for Norman because he's such an incredibly um, symbolic figure and and he, he devoted himself to the city and the city loved him in return and you would you would just love the opportunity to see people gather to acknowledge that you know and uh, the church in Leeds should be ab- should have been absolutely full it should have been a sort of real shutdown of the city centre for that time and that just isn't possible and that is that's really really sad I put it in our group chat we've got for, uh, for Leeds that and I said it's strange how for somebody that I didn't know personally uh, I, I met him once just to shake his hand as like a fanboy type thing but somebody that I never saw play in my lifetime had such an influence on me and my following of the club and that's probably the same for a lot of people around our age in the kind of 30s and that who, who have binge watched all the old glory days and learned all about it through people like Norman and it's just strange how you can feel so sad from something and somebody you didn't know so I can only imagine how his nearest and dearest and people like yourself who knew him feel well he's got a lovely family and I do I feel really sorry for them as well because they also you know this has to become such a such a narrow focus in terms of what happens in the aftermath and they would they would I'm sure love to celebrate I mean it's a private thing there's a private aspect to it but I'm sure they would love to celebrate Norman's life as well in, in, in a in a, in a way that was befitting to the things that he achieved, but they were, and they're such a tight unit. I mean, they, they all go to, they've all going, been going to the games. I see them all at the games, um, you know, recently as well. So they're very much, they are also in the Leeds United family. They're very much a part of that. So the whole thing's terribly sad. It's very, very sad. And I was, I was uh, really upset on the day it was announced. I, it actually hit me harder than I was anticipating because you do, as these guys get older, it is part of the thought process, sadly. But um, and others have gone, obviously, previously. Um, but it did hit me harder than I was anticipating. It was only then I really, I stopped again to think about, you know, what what a great guy he'd been. And I think 
you might see the thing behind my over my shoulder that you know that relationship that bond that we built up that that's never really been broken and i think the thing that was almost even more cruel about it was the fact that it happened at a time when we could quite easily have been celebrating a promotion that he'd been waiting for for so long to to see well that's right i mean it does the the whole covid-19 coronavirus thing hasn't up until now had or up until then it was the impact on me was in not going out the house and not being able to work but it wasn't uh, it wasn't there wasn't a health impact to it um and then with, with the news with norman then that would brought it really closely into focus then it became something other than the thing that was stopping me going out to work you know it became the health health issue then um so it did bring it sort of starkly into focus the impact that all this is having on a lot of people's lives yeah i think there was a moment back in march when the covid-19 the my biggest concern about covid-19 was its impact on the football season and that you know quickly passed as the real um scale of the thing took took hold but a lot of people listening to this and a lot of us are still reading everything every day about the speculation about what's going to happen next with the season what's your view on it what's your take on it where we where we heading do you know what i'm getting really weary about all of this because um <laughs> it, well it, it's this is a hard conversation for me in a way because i fully understand the the um the fact that this is just a game um and that there are uh really bad things going on in other parts of the country of in, in other parts of the world so to sort of talk seriously about this thing sounds a little bit like being flippant and yet i want to do that because it's how i earn my living it's how i yeah. pay the this house that i'm sitting in now i pay the mortgage which is currently by the way on i'm on a mortgage holiday um yeah. it's how i pay that mortgage and it, it's how I've since since leaving Sky this is this is I I get paid by football if you like not only with the stuff I, I do with the commentaries but I mean this this afternoon I've been uh, doing some stuff for the coach education system in Wales uh, you know so um doing media uh, talks with with footballers and coaches and stuff so the industry around football provides me with a living as much as the game does so if you remove that it's like closing the coal mines down if you're a miner you know it's all of a sudden the way i've earned my living effectively for 30 years no longer exists mm. now how long that remains for we'll have to wait and see so the the debate is is one that's very close to my heart but it's almost one that's almost too difficult to have now because i'll be honest i'm not wildly optimistic about how it's going to turn out now um and i don't know whether that's uh, necessarily because of um I think public opinion's playing a very big part in this thought process. Every industry is trying to get back to work and is trying to find a strategy and a plan so that they can get people back into work because if they don't get people back into work, they will suggest that industry will cease to exist. And football is an industry and it employs tens of thousands of people in various guises that some people maybe don't even think about all the ancillary stuff that they um you know the the supply chain and all the rest of it like a car industry and if there's no football then there's no industry and lots of people who are in that don't have anything to do don't have any work to do so i want to see a way through this because for me personally it's about how i earn my living in the future so i want people to talk about that plan 
other people seem to be getting really aerated about the fact that that discussion is even taking place and this discussion is even taking place. So for me, you've got to finish the season. You can't start a new one until this one finishes. I think you've got to wait a little bit longer, as long as you possibly can, realistically. But there's a financial imperative, by the way, because clubs are going potentially going bust here. Mm. Um, but you've got to wait as long as you possibly can. You do the first bit probably behind closed doors, but you can you have the opportunity to stream this stuff now live. Lots of people would watch the Leeds games, um, hopefully in their own homes and all the rest of it. With uh, no commentating. Oh, well, listen, it doesn't really matter, does it? It really doesn't matter. But if the opportunity, well, if the opportunity, I would, def- I would, you know, I would, it would be very odd, but I would go and do it for sure. Um, and it would be probably the most difficult um, challenge that I'd faced in terms of in terms of the, the broadcasting stuff. Mm. But we we seem to be even well in in the EFL for sure. We seem to be even a, a, some distance away again from that suggestion. And yet, the last time I spoke to a Leeds United player, Patrick Bamford. He said, we're in on May the 16th, which is what, next week or week after or whatever. And our first game is we're expecting to be on June the 6th, I think he said. So nobody's yet said to me for sure, as far as I'm aware, I don't think anybody's yet said that those dates aren't still up in the calendar or in the, mm-hmm. in, in the thinking. Because we've had no sort of... So the longer the thing drags on, the more people raise their voices. And if you always have a void, then people will fill it with their own voices, and their own opinions. Football's become a bit of a convenient, um, I don't know, what were, a sort of way to, to judge the mood, I think. Mm. Because every industry that wants to get going... I saw queues of people outside of, of a B&Q branch, pictures of uh, last weekend or whenever they, whenever they reopened. So there are some things that don't get a massive amount of attention. Football just seems to get a massive amount of attention. Uh, And yet every industry in the land is trying to find a way to open on one basis that they just want to keep going. Economically, that's what they need to do to be viable. And football on that basis is no different from anybody else. Have you ever commentated on a behind-closed-doors game before, Bryn? I've I've commentated on a few with very poor crowds, but that's not quite the same, is it? Probably. uh, I no, I don't think I have. The nearest I've experienced to it was when um, when Gary Speed was in charge of Wales. One of his very fir- one of his very first games was uh, in Dublin against Northern Ireland at the Aviva Stadium for this thing that they had for one season only called the Carling Cup of Nations. I think it was called. So it was Wales, Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland, and Scotland. And the attendance for the Wales Northern Ireland game in Dublin was was in the low hundreds, and even then, I think they massaged it upwards um, because the Northern Ireland fans boycotted it because they made it a bubble fixture. So they said, "Well, right, well, we're not going to that then." And the Wales fans basically couldn't be asked going over there in, in midweek in in whenever it was February or something. I think it was. So there was a. I mean, there were more stewards. There were definitely more stewards and ancillary staff in the stadium than there were fans, no question. And that was bizarre. I mean, that was bizarre. But a game went on, you know, Wales won. Um, at the end of it, I did what I always did, do the interviews with people at the end of the match. So you carry on the process in the same way you always have done. You just remove the one, I guess, fundamental element, which is the people watching. But I think there's a, this, is, this is unfortunately still a means to an end and the end is to get through to the end to finish this season because if you don't finish this season I'll guarantee you well already I've just been watching something about the Dutch Eredivisie 
And already the two sides who finished top of the of the second division in Holland are already talking legal action because they haven't been promoted. Now, you are going to get that through every um, area of the English game. And, you know, the club at Leeds United would look at, at that. But not only the club, the, in, the players themselves would look at that because the bonuses that they are due for promotion are massive. Is it 20 million quid the club's into for, for bonuses for, for promotion? The manager, the coaching staff, everybody has got contracted bonuses written in there. They're all, everybody, and that's just at Leeds. Multiply that by every other team that feels they've been denied what was rightfully theirs. And I think for that, if you're just looking on a pure football basis, that's why it's got to come to a, a, an agreeable conclusion because I cannot see any way. If you don't do that, you can't start the next one because then somebody will take out an injunction and say, well, we're not, we're not letting you start yet. It looks like tonight that um, reports from Sky and BT are saying that they've um, basically said if if you take relegation off the table, we're not paying you. So yes. the, the seven hundred thirty million is going to go away. So it, it's almost almost official. Come out by a a, a well respected journalist. So people are, are pretty happy with that because that shows a sign that things should move on to a more not natural conclusion, but... Monarch- but to a conclusion. But it, yeah. there has to be a conclusion that the majority, the, the mostly people agree with because in even in those circumstances, those clubs that are, so end up potentially suffering relegation from the Premier League, is there not a bigger picture here? And I suppose it's easy to sit here and say that when, when the club that you cover is looking in the other direction. But is there not a bigger issue here? Because I just cannot see how football ever restarts until they've got this bit done. Because there will just be a, a blizzard of people, a blizzard of, of, of um, legal actions being taken out that could bankrupt the game in themselves because the sums will be massive. Yeah. You know, you've got the TV companies get involved as well. You, you take every, all the income is moving out of football anyway currently, draining out of football. If you add to it, the, the prospect of a load of litigation, then that's that's going to make the prospects of ever starting properly ever again seem even more remote. You think nothing was written into the rules or anything of any of these divisions about possible pandemic or end of the seasons in certain ways. Every walk of life is going to have things with, with this. It's going to change everything. The Premier League won't be able to start a new season without new regulations put in that will will dictate how things will end so they don't have this messy scenario in the future surely well yeah I mean I, I saw Wimbledon had this built into their insurance um, uh, deal didn't they For, Wimbledon is the one major sporting event that seems to have had a global pandemic built in and it, and it's made them you know that they, they, they've paid extra for the for the for having it in the policy but it's it's absolutely reaped its its dividend now in terms of the in terms of the finances so somebody there had the foresight to to negotiate this because I presume there is a negotiation over something like that, but nobody else has. So everybody now is. I mean, everyone's making it up as they go along in every aspect of this. By the way, yeah. I'd like to think like you when you're doing your. I've done my home insurance renewal today, and I'd like to think that there's a box at the end where you tick pandemic insurance, and and nobody else has bothered to tick it because it was going to lump a load of extra cash on. Yeah, I didn't see that box. If it if it was there, I didn't no, I don't think in it. Now I missed that one. 
So j- just going back to that game, um, Bryn, with the low crowd, the Wales game, the difference between that and what, what we potentially face next is that that was a low crowd because people weren't that interested in watching the game, whereas potentially yeah. we, we could have behind closed doors game involving Leeds United where promotion's on the table, where millions of people yeah. want, want to watch it. People would sell everything they owned to get into the ground to watch it. So the but pressure... Well, this is the discussion, isn't it? This is the debate. And this is the bit where you ask people, you give them two options here. You either stay away and the, and the thing happens or you come and it doesn't. Yeah. You know, it, it's that straightforward. But assuming that people do the right thing and stay away, the pressure on your shoulders <laughs> as the person who is responsible for conveying that moment to all of those people. people yeah, you're probably too hard. I know, yeah, but listen, yeah, it, hold on. You're tormenting me here, aren't you? You're tormenting me here. Well, I, com- I, I, I just want to know what it what it feels like because you must it must have gone through well, your we head. Have, we haven't got that. It was. Go- I tell you what was going. It was going through my head. Foolishly, I allowed myself, um, knowing my track record, I allowed myself to imagine at the end of that Huddersfield game, effectively when it when the roll went up at full time and the scores came up on the scoreboard, and not only had Leeds won the game. But also other results meant that Leeds had gone back at the top of the top of the table and other results meant that Leeds were now seven points clear with single figures fixtures left on, on the season. And at that point, you think, do you know what? I think they might do this. And then, then you kind of rein it back. And then ever since, it's just literally, I mean, it feels a bit like, and this is, it's almost crass to say it, but at that point, my life fell apart from that, from, the, from, the, from that allowing myself the luxury of, of imagining what that might feel like, that final game and da-da-da-da and all the rest of it. So now I'm, it's completely out of my mind, absolutely. I get, so now I'd rather not have it in my head than suffer and torment myself by thinking about it and then somebody going oh no it's null and void mate no that's not happening that's not happening start again in so, November if it wasn't so serious I'd say leads that well it, it's written all over it isn't it I mean I know we discussed this we've discussed this previously but it, it is it, it, it kind of I, I understand if I didn't understand it before I kind of get it now Bryn we understand that it's uh, tough for somebody who's in your position, but are you are you keeping well? Are you staying healthy? You, how's how's lockdown treating you? Other than the employment oh, situation, I'm very fit because um, I'm out running or cycling uh, every day. So I'm fit. I'm ready for the start of the vet season again, whenever that is in 2024, when I'm about 63 or whatever. But um, that'll be behind uh, closed doors as well. Behind closed doors. Well, you see, we don't really suffer from that problem, to be honest. <laughs> so they should let us just let us play. We don't get very close to each other either in the game. There's no <laughs> tacking. So we, in fact, televise that. I've actually thought about that. If you televise the Weatherby Vets game now, you'd be guaranteed a huge global audience for it. Just yeah, by way of, it's, it's something to watch. Anyway, um, but well, I'm actually I'm actually quite busy because time um, I have time to sort of turn my attention to other things. So I've spent an awful lot of time doing this type of stuff using the iPad and then linking up with people um, in other places. So I've been doing quite a lot of media um, training and stuff like that. And I've got a YouTube channel now called Tag Media Communications, which is like a guide a channel where I try and guide people through the the communications maze um it's sort of diy guidance that's aimed at smaller companies maybe who don't have expertise on staff and that sort of thing so 
listen, you've got to diversify, guys, because I might not have any football to cover in for quite the foreseeable future. So, um, yeah, it's, it's this or a, it's this or um, delivery driver, I guess. That's that's maybe. That, you know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking in all ways now. Well, I reckon to uh, to finish on, and thank you for your time, mate. Matt Pleasure. has come up with his own game called Behind Closed Doors. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man. Behind Closed Doors. Well, you get the prize for most contrived competition ever, by the way, <laughs> fellas. Well done. Results. Uh, um, right, so hold on. I've got to ask a question. Uh, did he play for Leeds uh, in the new millennium? No. Oh, wait. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, come on, maybe, maybe just. Maybe just. Okay. I don't think so, okay. though. So did he play for Leeds in the 90s then, on that basis? Yes. Um, did he play in midfield? Sometimes wasn't his natural position. Oh God! Um, uh, did he? Um, did he play international football? Yes. Did he play for Norway? Yes. Is it Alfie Holland? No. Is it Gunnar Haller? Yes. Thank you that very was much. very impressive, Bryn. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Especially with Andy not knowing the, what a yes-no answer is. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes played on the right wing, didn't he? <laughs> Once we got past that, we did all right. Thank you very much for your time, Bryn. We, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. We wish you well, and we hope that we're listening to you describing our promotion some someday soon. Me too. Thanks, fellas. Stay safe, stay yeah, in, etc., etc. It was either with Alfie Holland or Gunnar Haller. How did he pluck Norway out? Uh, that was an impressive guess. I go, let's go again. There's a fucking peacock kicking off again. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you live? Fucking like Princess Island or something. <laughs> How do you get to work? Do you ride a unicorn? Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all the players and all the history Leeds have, how's he plucked out Norway? He could have had... Wait, it was either Ralphie or Gunnar, wasn't it? It was an exemplary uh, example of how to play. <laughs> I think we just have to go with it, don't we? Yeah, I think we carry on with the people. Pick out a niche country, and if you get it right, you're in with a really good shout of getting it very quickly, as Bryn proved. Right, keeping up to date. So uh, I'll, I'll start this section. Keep up to date. It's it's been interesting. I've I've written a cookbook for any Leeds fans interested. Paul has raised a gaggle of peacocks in his garden. James, how's the uh, James is the most well groomed of Leeds. That I think it's fair to say, boys. Would you agree? That's not true. I haven't showered all week. James's what? hair is still looking bang on. What have I'm you done? Nothing, literally nothing. I haven't even showered. He's you using Photoshop it? live. Have you, grown, have you grown it out? No. Yeah, I am going to grow it. Well, yeah. We've, there's talk of us bleaching it, Alfie Harlan style. Maybe we should do that for charity. Maybe. Peacock says yes. 
Yeah, that peacock's very excited about the prospect of James looking like Alfie Highland. Uh, Although if it gets any longer, you'll look like Gunnar Haller. Where do you live, Paul? Is it some castle in like bloody Peacock Villa or somewhere? I don't know, but I'm we're getting to the point where I assume that that peacock's distressed. I think it'll have got separated from the rest of them. That's why they tend to kick off. So uh, someone needs well, to go and do a bit of peacock herding. Not only do you live in a peacock village, you also are a peacock expert. Well, you, you get to know them after a bit of time and they're behaving. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What's he called? Peacocker. Lucas. The best bit about this particular part of the podcast is that on our prep sheet, we had written keeping up to date because that was a nice way to link from Bryn, whose job it is to keep us up to date, to our next guest, Graham Smith from the YEP, whose job it is to keep us up to date. But instead, Andy started talking about a cookbook and then the peacocks interrupted and it all just fell apart. My scones are unbelievable. Paul said they could be the front of a book. I didn't say that. And are they the front of your book? I don't actually have a book. (laughs) (laughs) I've just reversed us out of a cul-de-sac and we're back in it. And it's all we all Andy. Matthew, you've put on the uh, prep sheet here, keeping up to date. I assume that's because we want to talk to someone who actually might know what's going on at the club at the moment, rather than us just speculating all the time. Yeah, because it's really hard at the moment. We're not we're not in touch with the club in the usual ways that we normally would, and there's not the same news coming out of the club. There's been no transfer speculation. There's no injury news. There's no press conferences from Marcelo Bielsa. But everybody wants to know what's going to happen next. And one of the best ways to keep up to date with what's going on is to read the Yorkshire Evening Post and the uh, chief football writer, Graham Smith. And he was very kind kind enough to join us uh, for a quick chat here on Leeds That. How are you doing? You well? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I've got a bit of a sore throat, but other than that, doing all right. Thank you. Is this catching up on those of these Zoom and Google Meet chats and that, is it? Yeah, having today we've had uh, Tyler Roberts. Um, so that was, that was quite good. Although he had, uh, he had a shocking signal. Um, you honestly think that a footballer, you know, you don't like to make assumptions, but earning a decent whack would be able to afford decent Wi-Fi. <laughs> but the problem is they go and buy houses in the middle of nowhere in Yorkshire where we haven't, yeah. we haven't yet put the infrastructure in. That's the that's the. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for your time anyway, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, no worries. I mean, obviously you've been in post nearly a year now. Is that right? Uh July the 29th would be a year. Yeah, so you're coming up a bit. I mean, for me, I'm really interested in how you got into it. And have you always been a football fan? Who's your football team? And have you finally fallen in love with the Mighty Whites? <laughs> uh, always been a football fan. Uh, my dad played amateur football. Um, grew up going to Northern Ireland games, and Rangers games. Um, grew up in Northern Ireland. And um, always been a football fan. Played for the boys' brigade, not very well for many years. Um, and always, well, from, from probably about eight, nine or ten, wanted to write about football. I used to write these, uh, I used to, This is, it sounds incredibly geeky, but I would write out like a Champions League draw, decide the scores, and then write the match report for the final, which would always be Rangers and Marseille. Um, I know why Rangers were always in the final, but I don't know why I chose Marseille. I think it's because we probably played them in the European Cup when I was kind of in my formative years. Um, so this was kind of the job that 
that I always wanted to do, really. You're like the fifth musketeer. You sound like us. We're all the uh, losers too. I've definitely done some fake FA Cup draws in my time. <laughs> I was well, as, a, as an adult or as a child. Well, I wouldn't like to. Uh, wouldn't like to admit to anything, but I was probably a lot older than I should have been. <laughs> uh, but how are things at the moment, Graham? Because I'm quite interested for what on earth is it like putting together a newspaper in this period of lockdown and through this crisis uh, it's different um, but I say that ultimately it's still writing about Leeds United from a laptop speaking to people speaking to contacts with a mobile phone but without the football I've, I've written a column for tomorrow about without the actual football it all feels a wee bit hollow um, you know, there's only so much nostalgia really that you can wade through. I mean, luckily, Leeds United, when it comes to this time of the year, Leeds United have a plethora of anniversaries to celebrate that we can go big on. And that's great for filling the paper. Um, and for a lot of fans, I think that's really nice for them at the minute. That's what they fall back on. But I think there's others who just probably have switched off from football a little bit. Like they, they take an interest on maybe or took an interest in what was being said about when it's going to start up again. But um, it's just dragged on so long and we hear a different voice every day as to what should happen. And all the voices are speaking out of self-interest. And so I think it's it's turned a lot of people off. Um, so I don't think there's the, quite the appetite there that there was for football content as there would be in a normal season. I think there is still an appetite there, thankfully, so we can still get people on our website and still sell newspapers. But... The way we're doing that is not from an office anymore, not from a base. We're not going to Thor Barge to interview Mar Marcelo. We're not going to games to write about them. So we've had to be a bit more creative and we've had to do it from back bedrooms or kitchens or dining room tables. Um, I've turned my little girl's room into an office during the day and it's got a sign that says, Daddy is working, do not interrupt. Um, <laughs> the iron large gets ignored. So, so and, and I have a list of footballers and managers who have, I've been speaking to her on the phone when she's interrupted. Um, and I think at the end, at the end of the lockdown, I might release that as like a, an article, <laughs> of the best 11 that uh, were interrupted by my three-year-old. Have you had time to imagine the different headlines and stories you will write based on the different scenarios that people are banding about to the end of the season? Um, I don't know if I've thought about headlines, but I've thought about the reaction I was thinking about it today, actually, about how how lamentable it is that there may well be, I mean, let's face it, it's likely now that there will be no pitch invasion, you know, to celebrate promotion. There'll be no, mm. at least in the interim, there'll be no open-top bus parade if Leeds go up, uh, at least not for quite a long time. And, um, and it's quite sad for the players that they'll be robbed of, you know, we were talking to Newsom at the weekend and he was talking about the bus parade and, and how that was probably the most amazing part of his career, that, that whole celebratory time when they won Division One. Now, these these players are they're not winning the top flight title, but they're getting leads potentially getting leads back to the top flight. And it would be celebrated. I mean the, as my sports editor said not a few weeks ago, you know, the roof will come off this city. But then we're hit by a pandemic and all of those lovely things that everyone would have celebrated are probably not going to happen now. 
and players these players might not get the opportunity to look back on this period and think about you know standing in the square in front of tens of thousands of people who've gathered to celebrate them and that's quite a sad thing really i mean i know that there are other bigger and sadder things going on but for footballers that's probably quite a tough thing to take yeah it's their lifeblood isn't it i mean if you look at um someone like the league one team that went up they're all lauded as heroes still and that was going from the old div three wasn't it so and some of those players are still spoken of in heroic terms even though some of them, in the grand scheme of things at Leeds United, about being disrespectful, and as good as some of the legends we've had, you can you can write your name in the history books by doing something like this. Um, and I think the way the way that the season was building and the story that you know the the fact that Marcelo's first season ended the way it did, the fact that he stayed and he kept faith with the system and, and largely the same squad. We had the whole Eddie and Kedia thing we've had the Kiko thing you know and then they roared back to form and it looked like it was going to have the the storybook ending so it was all leading to a grand finale and, and I reckon they were going to do it um, I think still if they played games they would do it but it was leading to this massive celebration and we were starting to turn our minds towards how are we going to deal with that how are we going to cope with it what kind of coverage we're going to put together how am I going to keep Joe Urquhart on the rails to make sure he does some work if they manage to go up. Um, and, that, and all of that's up in the air. Um, so it's just the, it's the strangest, strangest time for everyone in football, I think. We uh, we spoke to Bryn Law the other day and I asked him this question, so I'll ask you the same one. Do you feel any pressure that actually your role is going to be magnified beyond any um, size that you could have imagined, really, to report on potentially what might happen without any fans getting to witness it firsthand? Um, no, I hadn't I hadn't thought of, about that until you just said it. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I've gone from covering Chesterfield in the National League, struggling in the National League, to covering a team that people in the Premier League care about and talk about and obsess over and, and want to read about. So... Um, I'm not sure that really there's anything that could happen between now and the conclusion of all of this that would be a bigger change or harder to adapt to than going from the pace of the Derbyshire Times to the Yorkshire Evening Post and from Chesterfield to Leeds. So I wouldn't really be particularly apprehensive about that, but I am very aware of the responsibility of getting things right at the minute because there's an awful lot of conjecture, a lot of speculation, lots of voices. I think we at the YEP have been quite we've tried to be quite cautious and careful about the lines that we take and how strong we go on things because firstly, how much this means to people that you don't want to give false hope that something's going to happen when it might not. Um, but also we have a responsibility at this minute to entertain people. So we still have to write about leads an awful lot. And so there's a bit of a, a tightrope going on at the minute and that'll probably increase as we get down to crunch time and decision time. But as my sports editor has said, we go big and we go strong on the lines that come out that are official or from we get it when we get it from a very, very good source and it's confirmed that a decision's been made. But ultimately football is fairly down the pecking order. I know that they're talking about it being a something that could lift the spirits of the nation. But in terms of priorities right now for the UK, I just don't see football as that high up the list. Yeah, there's a definite PR issue around what the what the perception of 
prioritizing football over all of the other things that the country needs to get right in the third Absolutely. Yeah. And it would just not be very good PR, to my mind, if testing kits were being used up on players in League Two in order to play out a mid-table, meaningless dead rubber in front of no fans. And that's to me, that's a hard sell. Yeah, for sure. How do you uh, see Rick Parry getting on at the EFL? Obviously, he did a lot of uh, talking yesterday and spoke a lot of sense in my book. How do you find that? Um, it was it was interesting, the reaction really, that um, Leeds fans, maybe for the first time, were saying, can we hear more from the EFL? Um, <laughs> it's bonkers, he, isn't it? <laughs> he certainly spoke sense um, and he said all the right things you'd want to hear from a Leeds United perspective. The question is, can he actually make any of it happen? You know, can the EFL make relegation from the Premier League a reality? It's not really in their hands. It's not in their gift to do that. And we're going to we're going to need the Premier League to do the right thing. Um, whether Premier League clubs will do the right thing, who knows? Do you know what I love there is when you said uh, we're going to need. Have you got the Leeds United bug? <laughs> no, I was meaning more in a, a general football sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's worth a try. There is, there, there is a there's an attachment that you get to the club that you follow. I mean, for me, it happened with Stockbridge where I started. It happened at Worksop Town. I really wanted them to do well, and they went through a torrid time. In fact, the the theme of my career has been clubs going through a torrid time up until Excellent. now. Um, just so I should probably just put that out there as a, maybe a, a warning. Um, and you do you do grow fond of the club. And, and also, it's in my best interests if Leeds do well. Um, I want to cover Premier League football. I want to watch the best possible football on a on a Saturday afternoon, or a, if it's in the Premier League on a Thursday, Friday night, on a Sunday afternoon, whenever it might actually be. We might never see a Saturday three pm kickoff again if they go into the Premier League. But um, you want them to do well because it's nicer to write about five nil wins than it is to write about five nil defeats. And interviewing a player after a five nil defeat is a thankless task. Interviewing some players after a 5 0 win isn't much fun, but, but it's better than when they get beat 5 0. It's interesting you were saying, Graham, about the almost, would you call it a culture shock for going from reporting on Chesterfield to reporting on Leeds United? What, In what ways did it um, surprise you, the move, and what have you kind of learned over that first nearly a year that you've been following the club? Um. I'm not sure that I would say that, that Leeds fans are, are any different in terms of how they support their club to Chesterfield fans because every club has fans that are diehards and fans that are a bit odd and a bit obsessive and, and all of that. Um, Chesterfield, Chesterfield fans have watched their team go from the League One playoffs to the bottom of the National League and they're still turning out in, in decent numbers and that kind of shows their passion. But... The scale, it's the scale of everything when you when you follow Leeds that is just vast. You know, it's the it's the, the Twitter following and the, the notifications and Saturday afternoons when you report a goal, the reaction or the web figures or, or the people that the number of people that buy the paper. Um, just from a, a journalism point of view, the, the big thing was the the pace, the change of pace from a, a weekly paper to a daily paper. So mm. You know, on, on a Monday when I was at the Derbyshire Times, I was I still had to upload stories to the web and keep the website ticking over. But looking back on it now, I was luxuriating somewhat um, in comparison with with 
now when there's a paper to do every day apart from Sunday. It needs a back page that almost definitely needs a Leeds United story on it. You need two pages inside with some analysis or insight or an interview. The website needs to be constantly updated. If something happens, at, I mean, this is true probably regardless of who you cover and where you are, but if something happens at 11 at night, you've got to cover it. If something happens and you're on holiday, you've got to cover it. Um, but the expectation from Leeds fans, it's hard to describe the appetite for news that you kind of become aware of when you start covering Leeds. I mean, the, the, any news, um, any news, Graham, or, or for those wags who still say any news, Phil, um, that, that was just, that was my Twitter, that was my Twitter mentions constantly for the first few days because everyone, everyone wanted to, to share in the, in the great joke. Um, and then, uh, and I, I did have an unfortunate scenario where I was announced as the new chief football writer at the YUP while I still had four days left of covering Chesterfield. So my new following on Twitter were subjected to um, live coverage of Chesterfield versus Burton Albion in a pre-season friendly. Um, and I just, I just don't think a set of tweets have ever gone down as badly as <laughs> with, with anyone as my coverage of that. And that game, and, and it got to the stage where I was thinking, I mean, that was a decent shot, and it did hit the bar, but it probably wasn't going in, and I probably, I probably not make much of that on Twitter. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, a culture shock. I think is, a, is just about the right phrase. What's kind of been your favourite aspect of covering Leeds, um, and, and worst, I guess, as well? Is this is this the worst moment right now? Um, what this interview? Yeah, being on the, <laughs> the, uh, the press food has, has certainly gone up a notch um, from the National League. The, uh, the spread they put on at the Emirates is just, I mean, it's sensational. I think there were seven different cakes, seven full different cakes and three different curries. Um, and that, money, that. That is, I mean, that, that is that's a taste, a little taste of what we might have to look forward to. Um, and really that's why you get into journalism um, <laughs> is the free food that you get. Um, for me, the football has been a big highlight. Uh, goals like the one at, at Hull, the team goal that started in, in defence on the left flank and Tyler Roberts finished it off. Um, that's been a big highlight. Watching games in a full stadium, um, the atmosphere at certain games this season has been really, really good. Uh, covering Bielsa is pretty interesting. It's never you're never shy of something to write about or analyse with his style of football, and even just getting to grips with him in press conferences. Although I'm not sure anyone can even say that they've ever really got to grips with him in a press conference. But um, kind of learning which questions you can ask and which questions will get the death stare or which will get batted back back straight back at you. Um, it's all been a bit of an education, really. What's the death stare like? Um, it's it's intense, but then they're all like football managers by and large are intense. They have to have like that, a bit of presence. Otherwise they can't lead 11 men, can they? Um, you know, Jack Lester, who was Chesterfield boss, really lovely character, but super intense guy and, and there were times when he'd look across the desk and you'd think he, he's maybe one or two misplaced words away from making the national news here um, <laughs> and Martin Allen could be the same if, if you robbed him up the wrong way but even Danny Wilson who's, who's fairly mild-mannered you know could get irate 
Um, and it is that kind of knowing the words to use that will get you a, the response you want and get you the response the fans need, but also without damaging kind of the relationship and the um, that kind of professional bond you have with the manager. Um, but he is he's intense, Marcelo. There's no doubt about that. And and I think I'm not sure there's anyone in the local press pack who hasn't felt that death stare this season. Um, I got it. Can't even remember why I got it, but he he, he interpreted a question I asked as um, oh it was it was when I asked him if he was demanding during the transfer window. Um, and the reason for the question was that when I chatted to Victor Orda, he said that Marcelo had made him a better professional and a better person. And I wanted to know if it was because that Marcelo set such high standards and he demands the very best of everyone around him that that had made Victor up his game. Now, I probably could have worded the question better or prefaced it with Victor Orda says so, but instead it just came across to him as if I was saying are you not signing any strikers because you're too demanding or because Victor Order can't find you a striker? That's how he interpreted the question. Um, and he gave us some great copy. Uh, it was a it was a brilliant day for us in terms of web hits and filling the paper. But yeah, it was, it was a somewhat uncomfortable moment. So you talked a bit, Graham, about the uh, appetite for news at Leeds and the fact that we, you know, sell so many papers to fans who are just waiting to turn it onto the back page and read about Leeds United immediately and probably ignore a lot about what's going on in the front of the papers, to be honest. But what um, what would you say to people who want to support the paper and keep it going through these through this period of uh, difficult times? Um, if you can afford to uh, and you feel like, like the YEP is, is worthy of your support, then subscribe. Um I'm not quite sure of the the mechanisms for getting it delivered to your home, but but I, we do have a subscriptions team, and I do tweet the number for them and the, the email for them um, on a semi-frequent basis. But yes, yeah, subscribe to the paper, subscribe digitally. Um, there's no denying that this this is a difficult time for everyone. I think in every pretty much every industry, I, I'm quite sure that all of us know people that have been affected. Either their health has been affected, or their job has been affected. Um, even just the fact that we're having to homeschool children is a horror in itself. Um, and journalism is absolutely no different. Journalism is affected because people can't maybe can't get out to buy the paper or, or it kind of falls falls down the pecking order. Um, and like I said, there's maybe not the same appetite as there was for reading about sport. But the, new, the, the work that our news team is doing is incredibly important at the minute. They're making sure that, that they're not only telling us the bad news, about what's going on in Leeds, which everyone needs to know about the reality of the situation, but they're also shining a light on people who probably deserve quite a lot of recognition at the minute and some very worthwhile stories. So um, at a very base level, visit the website daily, have a good read, click around, see what's on there. Um, and then if you can afford to and you like what you're, you're seeing, then subscribe. Yeah, before we go, thank you very much for your time once again. Um, what are your thoughts on the YEP jury panel? There's a guy called Matthew Enzo who's got some rogue opinions, do you not think? Yeah, sometimes we have to tone it down a wee bit, um, just so the lawyers <laughs> so the lawyers don't have to get involved. Um, I, th- I think it's great. I think it's great that people, well, football fans, let's be honest, want to give their opinions. Otherwise, you, you guys wouldn't be doing a podcast. And I think it's great that people still want to talk about football in their local paper. Um I've really, really enjoyed the series we've we've had running during this 
hellscape, um, the My Leeds United series, where fans have kind of written about what the club means to them because they've all been quite different and unique and we've had people from different parts of the world. They're all very Leeds and, and they kind of there's themes that run throughout about, you know, why would you do this to yourself? And it's a it's a bizarre and unique existence, but also they've all got different stories to tell about why they first started supporting Leeds and what got them into it, who their heroes were, and the big moments that really matter. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. So I think the more opinions and the more different faces and voices we can get talking about Leeds through the YEP, then um, it's all the better. Great. And Great. last question, Graham. If you had to put money on how the season's going to uh, play out, where would your money go? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't think... I personally don't think it's right to bring games back right now. I think it's very, very premature. I just think the death toll is still too high to be to be even considering, you know, whether it's safe to get games on. Um, I think what should happen is they should wait as long as they possibly can to try and play these nine games. I think that's the fairest and most just way to do it. It's not going to be a completely level playing field because you'll have teams that were backed by a, a home crowd who are now going to be playing in front of no one for certain fixtures. and But everyone will have to play in front of no one. So there's so much self-interest at the minute and every club is, is saying what suits them best. I think they should play the games. To be honest, next season means very little without this season being concluded properly. My next preference after that, if it's just simply impossible, and, and let's face it, it might be impossible to play these games. I consider it really unlikely that League Two, for instance, will play football. I just I just don't see it. I just don't see them being able to. Um, League One potentially as well, and even the Championship. So if they can't play these games, and it's still a big if, then they have to decide it on points per game uh, or some other metric that is fairly weighted um, and reflects the fact that teams have performed the way they performed for so many games. Because we, it's not like we've only played 10, 15 games of the season. We've played a very, very good chunk of the season now. So if it is impossible to play them, I think we can judge it on what's happened. Um, people might say, you've got a vested interest. I absolutely do. From a YEP and a professional and a personal standpoint, I do have a vested interest. Everyone does. Nobody is, I haven't heard anybody saying something for the greater good that would harm them or their football club. But speaking personally, I'd like to see the games played. And if not, they've got to decide the tables. Declaring it null and void, to me, would be a farce because so much football has been played. You cannot scrub it from the record books. You can't scrub goals and assists, um, disciplinary records. Are they going to pay back all the fines throughout the, the pyramid? right down to amateur level. I find that hard to believe. So um, if there is going to be a record of this season, then I think it's enough to decide it on. But goodness knows, I'm not a betting man, so I'll just sit on the fence on that one. Well, I can't, we, we couldn't agree with you more that, that we need to have some resolution to it, but only when it's uh, safe to do so and right to do so, I guess. But yeah, listen, thank you very much, Graham, for coming on and talking to us. We really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Just realised, actually, Matt, before that you said no injury updates. 
and uh, there was a video of Adam Forshaw doing like the keepy up challenge the other week, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't lift his leg, so he just had to do it with a golf ball and golf club. So there's an injury update. But the longer this goes on, the chances are he'll be back. True. What kind of golf club was it? Don't know. Can that- we have a one? <laughs> can we have one last game of behind closed doors? No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind closed doors. I'll go first. Uh, is this player played in this millennium? Yes. Did this player play in the Premier League? Yes. Is it Fraser Richardson? Niente. No. <laughs> Is the player English? Nope. Did they play for Leeds United in Europe? Yes. <gasps> Did they leave Leeds United before we played in the Championship? Yes. Did we actually get any money for this player? Yes. Yeah, we did. Did they move to another English club? No. Is it Olivier Decor? Correct. <laughs> You're oh, not allowed nice. to guess. I have it. Goes off. Amazing behind closed door skills. What scenes we've got here. <laughs> I was about to say Olivier Decor. Anyway. Were you? Were you? <laughs> I actually was because he went to somewhere in Italy, didn't he? Roma. Roma. Correct. Well, no, because we've done our research. Well, because he was a, he was one of the uh, players on uh, Where Do They Come From, Where Do They Go a few podcasts ago. Also, as well, I saw a lot of people online talking about him the other week because, you know, when they replayed the, the Liverpool game and everyone was saying they forgot how good Olivier Dacor was. Um, but he, I never forgot. He was just always class. I was absolutely gutted when he left, but no surprise that he did leave at the time Venables was there. So, uh, scoop for you. My mum is a French teacher. And she taught Olivier Decor's next-door neighbour French. My turn. Right, I've got a player lined up. Did they play in the 90s? Yes. Were they an outfield player? Yes. Were they English? No. Are they Portuguese? Nope. Oh, that would have been good. Did they play as a traditional number nine? (laughs) Nope. Rules out Thomas Brawl in there. Did they play in midfield? Nope. Is it a defender? Yes. Is it a central defender? Yes. Did they later go on to be our manager? No. Are they South African? No. Hang on a minute. Dutch. Yeah, they Dutch. No. That's annoying. Austrian? No, not Martin Heaton. Scottish? Nope. Irish? Nope. Northern Irish? Nope. European? Nope. Who the bloody hell is it? This is so annoying. Australian? Nope. African? Nope. North American. Nope. Behind closed doors. Australasian. Yeah, yes. Is that like that general area? New Zealand, Oceania. 
New Zealand yes. and... Yes, yes. I thought someone else would ask a follow-up question. New Zealand? Yes. Matthew? Nope. Shall I go? Because you said yes. I know, but it didn't stop him jumping in when he knew the answer. No, that was my turn because you got a no, you bell. I didn't get a no. You did. I said, did he move for free? And he said yes. I said, no, did he, said he move no. abroad? He didn't move for free, did he? We got money from Jog on. You're wrong. Anyway, I can't remember. Pass. Is he a manager now? <laughs> yes. Oh, what's his sodding name? Matthew knows he could end this. Is it... Oh, is it Danny something? That, oh. Yes. I can only think of one. Danny Hay. Danny Hay! Yes! I, I would like to um, challenge this. Go on. Are you absolutely certain he played in the 90s? He signed for Leeds United in 1999. I think he played for us in the noughties. He did as well. Mate, you can roll over. You can't. You can play in two decades. Yeah, but I don't think he did. I think he just played in one. Incorrect. He had four great appearances for the first team and the other teams that he might have done loads. Anyway, Danny Hay, congratulations, James. You win a biscuit. Yay! I believe Danny Hay played in uh, our 4-0 defeat at the New Camp in the Champions League and in a 3-0 defeat at Old Trafford. He also played in a 4-3 victory against Liverpool. Did he? I think so. I could be He also was on the bench on the 30th of September 1999 for the second leg of the UEFA Cup first round fixture against Paths and Belgrade at Ellen Road. But he was on the bench. And he's played for Liverpool. Anyway, anyway, you're well going done there. Right, got one. Right, I'm confident on this one, guys. That, that they actually did the things that I think that they did. Did this player play for Leeds United? Yes. Did they play this millennium? Yes. Did they play from 2010 onwards? No. Did they play in the championship? Yes. Were they a lone player? Yes. Oh, I know who it is. Were they loaned from a Premier League side? Yes. Oh, balls. Midfield? No. Oh. Left back? Yes. Michael Gray? Yes, well done. (laughs) Very good. Before we go, we've got one last game that we need to play. Uh, Before we play it, we've got to have a caveat that this is in no way uh, making light of what is a very serious matter and uh, we'd like to say thank you to all of our carers for the work that they do uh, on behalf of everybody who is suffering at the moment but you will have seen that the Leeds United Twitter account has been putting out a video every week with different Leeds United related legends and celebrities applauding and clapping for our carers and I think that they're trying to up the game every week we've had David Batty on there, we've had Howard Wilkinson on there yeah, so it's it's been really nice to see some old faces coming back. So we're currently recording this on a Wednesday night, so we'll be having another video coming from the club tomorrow night, and I thought we could play a little game of bingo. So I want everybody to write down five players that you think might appear on tomorrow night's video, and the, with the, whichever one of us has got the most right when the video is published at 8pm tomorrow night, wins go on then get thinking get writing how do you spell Kishishev 
It is annoying because I can't remember who's been on and who hasn't. Neither can right. I, and I'm pretty sure I've chosen at least one who's already been on it. So, right, I've got it. Can we just put it in the WhatsApp group, yeah? No, we'll tell we'll tell everybody now. All right. So I've got Eric Cantona. Unlikely, I'd say. Rio Ferdinand should be unlikely, should he? Yeah, agreed. Paul Reaney. Don't know if he's already been on. Yeah, I've got a feeling he might have been, but I'm not sure. Luciano Becchio. I think he's definitely been on already. Mel Sterling. That's a good shout. Steve Hodge. Yeah, I like both of them. They're, I think your last two are, have got her in with a shout. Did you just end up in the who speaks in the pub before a game stakes? Right, my list. Uh, Thomas Brolin. Because that's <laughs> it. <laughs> I didn't realise that we were having a throwaway one as our as our top of our list. Uh, Ian Rush, Robbie Fowler. That's a good shout. Oh, you ended up in the Liverpool. Uh... Yeah, but then I remembered that I should go for Michael Gray because I should back both of my players. And then randomly in my head, Lubomir Mikulik. Oh, I'm not. I'm not feeling confident about your list, Paul. I've spread my bets. James, David Weatherall. Nice. Friend of the podcast. You can listen to our interview with David Weatherall uh, a couple of episodes back. It's a good one as well. I said that just so you could plug it, Matt. Um, Tony Yeboah. Nice. I don't know if he's been on, though. Lee Chapman. Gary Kelly. But I think he might have been on it, so I'm going to change it, actually. Uh... Leslie Ash. (laughs) 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 Now, I'll stick with Gary Kelly and John Lukic, my last one. Nice. Go there, Matt. Who are yours? I've gone with Lee Chapman, Victor Orta. Oh, that's a good shout. Chris Moyles. Shout. Noel Whelan and Richard Naylor. Moyles is a great shout. You've made me think, actually, as well. It could be like Russell Crowe and Kelly Jones from the Stereophonics. Could be any of those. Well, we'll find out at eight o'clock tomorrow. I'm really proud of the uh, of the guys I do this podcast with, and one thing that the lads have done, which is beautiful and has gone down quite well, but needs some more love and more credit, is the prize draw that has been announced. Uh, you might have heard our latest podcast in memory of Jack and Stuart, where James and Paul both beautifully opened up about some tragedy that happened in their lives and how they want to commemorate is that the right word is that the right word commemorate uh two extremely special people uh in their lives but also in our lives as the wider leads that family um by raising some funds to help the causes that helped them um we've got a great prize draw going in memory of jack and stuart I'd like to thank anybody who's donated um, and entered the prize draw. We've had a lot of anonymous donations, which I assume are people who don't really care for Leeds United or the prize, but we're quite happy to put some money in, which is fantastic. Um, but also to the people who have reached out. Uh, I've just said i just giving ping just now. That's weird. Thank you to two people who have got in touch to donate a further prize. James, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um- Barney on Twitter, thanks ever so much, Barney, but he's uh, donating a pullout from a magazine that's been signed by uh, the man himself, David Batty, as well. So we're adding that to the prize pot. Um, yeah, and just to 
Just to kind of back up what Paul's saying as well, you know, thanks ever so much for everyone that's been donating and thanks for people that have messaged us. It's, you know, it's really appreciated and very, very kind of you. And we got an email from um, Craig and the Aussie Whites, you know, Australia sending their love, which is just crazy really. And But we genuinely appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you want to enter, head to leadsthat.com forward slash donate. You just need to donate £5 to one of the causes that we're raising money for, which is York Special Care Baby Unit and Orb Community Arts in Nairsborough in memory of uh, Jack and Stuart. And we appreciate any contributions that anybody can make. The four of us are strangers to, to most people is this podcast. And the fact that two of our members have touched so many people's hearts is really quite a beautiful thing and thank you to people who've donated and keep doing that well thank you again to Bryn and Hayden and Graham for taking the time out of their schedules to join us and provide some insight into their world during this uh, surreal time we hope you've uh, enjoyed listening Um, we'll be back again with further interviews in the coming weeks and other little bits and pieces until then, thank you very much. Wash your hands, you filthy morons. <laughs> Wipe your ass, wipe your hand. And once you've washed your hands, log on to leadsthat.com forward slash donate and enter our prize draw. Podcast Network.